Hello, and welcome to a little bit of an experiment. It is going to be a non-live tip show for most of you. That's how it typically goes, but uh, for everyone else out there, this is just a request show where you send in something you want me to read to Allie. Allie categorizes it, she gives it to me, and then I read it. I miss the live stuff, guys. I really, really do. And if you don't know what's going on with me, because you haven't been listening to the COVID updates, because you're tired of both my insanity and COVID, or either or, well, I don't really blame you. There's plenty of sources to go to for that kind of thing, and only one me. Just to sum it up, very briefly, I'm finding it very difficult interacting with others right now. Others who know me or have expectations of me, I'm just... It's not going very well for me. <laughs> and the more distant I am from that kind of interaction and those pressures, the better I seem to be doing these days. If you check the blog or Twitter or what have you, you will go ahead and see that I'm cooking, I'm exercising, I'm leaving the house. In fact, I'm leaving the house more than at any other time during the Grey Knight Project. Isn't that sad? And uh, life is going pretty okay for me. But psychologically speaking, I'm doing what I have to do to survive, and I hope you are too. I hear, if you're a fan of mine, one part of survival might be that uh, you like it when I produce stuff with my nice voice and my personality to match. So, I have here a little cup of tea that I've made from carafe number one, as I call it. I've got a two-carafe system going these days. I am more proud of this than just about anything else. Allow me to give you a quick little story at the start to tell you how proud I am of the two-carafe system and what it is. There once was a guy who was pretty smart. You might have heard of him. His name was uh, Albert Einstein. And the thing that he was most proud of in his life is, of course, the theory of relativity and how it reshaped the understanding of time, physics, and all of the rest. Do you happen to know what Albert Einstein's second best invention was, according to Albert Einstein? Ask a physicist or a cosmologist what the second best thing Albert Einstein created was, They'll likely tell you the theory of dark matter. It is, if I understand it, this is not an authority seeking, different from the theory of either special or general relativity. It was, in some ways, or at least this is how it's presented to laymen when they read about it, something that he drew up and then threw away. Now, I humbly can't really begin to tell you what dark energy is. I don't really think I understand what Hawking's radiation is, but I can say, I can summate it as the reason why you know the name Stephen Hawking, like you know the name Albert Einstein, is Stephen Hawking said that there were these little blips and bloops of radiation that the black holes were burping out, that they were Hawking bodies or Hawking radiation, depending on the source, and that black holes will eventually transform uh, in some way by 
letting these little pieces of radiation, these little bodies, out. How could anything as dense as a black hole let anything out? Well, that's exactly how Hawking got famous. He didn't just suppose it, he showed it to physicists and cosmologists and the great mathematicians of his time, and that is why we know his name. I don't really understand what I'm saying to you. I mean, I understand it, but at the exact same time... <laughs> One of the first things that got through to me on a black hole was a physicist saying, imagine trying to fill up your dog or cat's pet bowl with a fire hose. Look at how little water is going to get in there compared to everywhere else. That's how powerful the suction force of a black hole is and how little matter enters it because it tries to pull it in so quickly and hard that it just actually makes 90-some percent, maybe even more, uh, not obviously not more than you know, 100, but makes an incredibly high percent of the matter that comes in contact with a black hole even scatter away in all kinds of directions, much like me in middle school. Just a little too eager to reach out and get you, and therefore you were repelled. I had to learn later that you wouldn't want me at all in high school either. Don't worry, though. That incredible pain and trauma made the person I am today or I would be that much better and happier if I hadn't endured it? It's a fun question. <laughs> My point being is that Albert Einstein came up with something called dark energy, and perhaps even dark matter. Or I, I believe it's dark matter, and I'm getting it backwards. It's dark matter is what, is what the universe is made of, and dark energy is, is something that he more supposed... Almost sure. Whoops. Probably should have boned up on that before this little monologue at the intro. Yikety-splikities. <laughs> Anywho, the important thing to consider is that even large bodies like physicists can come up with something like, of course we think that this paper Hawking's has is right. But they're still trying to pry into the genius of Albert Einstein and possibly this great notion of this great mind, of what some fundamental dark forces, unknown forces of the universe are. If you ask a mathematician or a linguist what Albert Einstein's greatest invention and contribution to humanity is, they would likely give you one of his many astounding quotes. For instance, I don't think there is such a thing as a statistics professor that does not adore the quotation, God does not play dice. I've spoken before, for anybody who wants a little bit of writing advice from of all the people you could go to in the world, me. And one of the best pieces of advice i ever gotten, because I know a lot of words and therefore I use a lot of words and therefore I have made the J.K. Rowland's mistake of saying, Snape ejaculated instead of speaking, because I didn't want to say said, because I got bored of the tag, because I thought anybody else would care. <laughs> Silly me. <clears throat> and so this writing mentor of mine said, to be or not to be, that is the question. And I said, I think I've heard that one before. And he goes, uh-huh. And how many words do you get through to get to one that has two syllables? To be or not to be. That's a pretty profound statement, and every word is one syllable. Well, same thing. God does not play dice. Hmm. 
Robert Frost has a lot of these too. There's a lot of people that are quoted eminently in the English language that have very simple quotes. But according to Albert Einstein, these were not his greatest contributions to humanity. No, number one is, of course, general and special relativity, and in his not-so-humble view, his ability to explain it to people at the time with a mere high school degree. In fact, he wrote a book with just that, trying to get people who didn't even go to college or didn't have any high-level mathematics to understand relativity. It is not very straightforward if you try and pick it up today because it's written in the language and the structure of the time, but it is a real effort. And if you go by the, I believe it's pronounced, Freeman theory of understanding something, that you don't really understand it until you can start explaining it to a five-year-old, well... Seems Albert Einstein really understood general and special relativity because he really made an effort a lot of times and he got it down real simple to some real easy analogies if you want to study them. So well done. Was number two any of these other things? No. Albert Einstein's second greatest gift to the world, according to Albert Einstein, was boiling soup on the stovetop and throwing an egg in it. You see, you are already boiling the soup. And you want the egg later. So while you're making that soup simmer away, you just go ahead, you take an egg out, maybe two, you throw them in. Now, of course, the chilled egg is going to cause the, <laughs> cause, cause the soup to need to boil longer. Albert Einstein was a profoundly, profoundly intelligent man. He understood the physics of this. And so when asked about, well, it's still going to take longer to cook the soup, it's still going to take more energy, Albert Einstein said, yes, but this way you don't have to clean a second pot. <laughs> and thus... According to a genius that we're still trying to figure out if that genius was even more genius than we thought was genius. Albert Einstein's, in his own opinion, second greatest gift to humanity was, maybe you don't have to scrub a second pot. <laughs> Just sometimes, you really reach over and bend and make a lot of sacrifices. We can save you a little bit of elbow grease. Well, I can't even save you that. I'm just really happy with the two-graph system for me. Albert Einstein was trying to evangelicalize, just like he was on relativity, about the benefits of eggs and soup that you're making. <laughs> this is in no way trying to get you to jump on over to it, but one of the ways that I stay so, 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 so much more hydrated and so much betterly than my friends. Ooh, that was not a good word. It's not a real one. Uh, but I, but I, I find it so much easier to avoid soda, to avoid those temptations. You know, beer, I fall for. Alcohol, I fall for. But that's because of the effects on the brain, not the tongue. No, no, no. That's ear candy, not tongue candy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the way it tastes. But it is brain candy for me. <laughs> I love the way Rocky Road ice cream tastes. I do not have, like, debates with myself at 1045 at night if it's okay for me to get Rocky Road ice cream. I know some of you do, and you're like, bastard, bastard. But really, there's never a voice in the back of my head that's like, come on, man, if we don't get it now, we're not going to be able to get it tonight. 
Come on, man. Come on, man. You've earned that rocky road. Come on, man. You worked hard all day. You work out. You treated the cat good. You barely yelled at anybody. Come on. There's only one more head on the spikes outside your perimeter. You put up six spikes. You only placed one head on them. You're doing way better than yesterday. Get up here. Rocky Road in this analogy. Whoops. God damn it. God damn it. I didn't even keep it for the analogy. Ah, uh, hold on, hold on one second. I have to, hold on one second. I have to pick up my mat. That's, okay, right there. Okay, hold on. There it is. It's back on. Ah, so much better. I'm a good put together person and everybody loves me. I am so glad I did not go with Persona for the Grey Knight. Just kind of rolled with it the whole freaky-deaky way through. Can you imagine if I had these Albert Einstein stories and this nerdy shit and all these mental breaks and I couldn't even share any of the fun parts of them with you? Just every time we have to be here like, COVID is strong and it is breaking people, but it does not break the dominant. The knight is good and all. Fuck that. I can't even fucking pretend. Exhausting to pretend. So my two carafe system, uh, with the hydration, how it's helping with my body, how it's helping with everything else. I got back there. See, didn't think I would. Uh, I, I I really like it. So I've been making green tea for a while now, and I hated green tea all my life because everybody around me who made it sucked at it. They made it like black tea, uh, like orange pico, which is the most common. Like if you get like a Lipton or a Louisiana. Uh, in, in America, that kind of thing. It's probably an orange pico tea because it's just real hearty. It's just a real hearty leaf. I don't know much about tea leaf, but as I understand it from talking to two different tea purveyors because they were hot-ass ladies who owned tea shops, and I'm like, I know the chances of me striking in here are slim, but if I do, it's gold, gold, gold. <laughs> The motivation is high, the anxiety is low, and every smell is good. She knows how to spell rooibos. Don't fuck it up, Jack. Call yourself daddy out loud until it's too late for her to take it back. Uh. <laughs> oh, my. Ah, uh, my youth was different than the youths of most men, especially if they are successful with women. <laughs> Time to acknowledge that. So green tea, I just, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And, and the reason why is they, is typically everybody in the West boils the shit out of the water and then they put the, the tea in and that's, that's how you do it with orange pico and that's okay with orange pico. You get the water hot, 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 and you put the leaves in. So with uh, with green tea, you're, what's recommended, at least, I have found, and this makes it just taste so much better, is if you bring it up to basically a light, light simmer, not a boil at all, not getting that steam really going, but a light, light simmer, and then you take it down. If, if you're going stovetop like I am, you take the heat down to the absolute lowest level that you can from that simmer, and that's when you put your green tea in. You can steep from pretty much any point on there. Uh, you know, you want a real light, really crisp one, it'll be three minutes and then five. But I mean, I've, I, I'll be real with you guys. That's the difference between the bitterness or not is the heat. The heat brings out the bitterness uh, of green tea so much more uh, than, than orange pico, so much more than other black leaf tea. Um, 
I'll admit that if it's like higher end teas, like a gunpowder and a psalm or something that it really sprung for, then I would make it properly because it's a really good tea. But like pretty much in the exact same way you can take pretty much any orange pico, uh, uh, any any black tea off uh, most shelves in America or Europe because I've tried it there too, and just throw them in pretty much any hot boiling water. And as long as you don't leave them too much in, as Terry Pratchett so brilliantly said, left the tea in the water so long it became a kind of soup. So as long as you don't do that, the orange tico will almost always work out. And if not, there's always lemon juice and sugar, baby. <laughs> you can make it work on the other side. In that way, with the green tea, you can steep it so long as you go low and slow. So you put that in there, and I will uh, simmer the water real light with ginger or cinnamon or whole cloves. This, this is all whole at this point, if you're going to be putting it in that early. Uh, and then I've got, you know, turmeric root in there as well. Uh, there's all kinds of various, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've thrown in the star anise. I've thrown in all kinds, just to see how it'll taste. And the answer is pretty great, pretty great every time. If you take whole herbs, uh, and you throw them in the simmering water for a couple of minutes, five, ten minutes. Uh, then you throw in your green tea uh, bags and take it down the lowest level, leave it in anywhere five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, really. You can, you can oversteep it this way if you do it this method, I find. You will have just the most pungent, delicious green tea of your life. And, uh, of course, this is a bit of a difficult to make. You don't want to make every cup this way. So the reason why I've switched over to this system after making, you know, a fresh cuppa all the time, uh, as it were, is I discovered the thing that makes tea or water taste bad is just its ability to, to, to mix with oxygen. And that if you, uh, you know, if you have a if you have a clean house and you have a carafe of water next to your bed that seals every night, uh, this might be just very very dumb, and that other people grew up with this. But if you have carafes that have you know like a glass seal and, and seal shut every night, you can keep that one flask of water that you filled up all week, and it's still crisp and clear every time. It's the amount of oxygen uh, in the in, in the atmosphere. That's mixing. That's mixing with the um, with your water, and there's a chemical bond that causes a release of something or other. But that's the bad taste that you taste when you leave your water exposed to oxygen. And just finding this, I really don't understand chemistry because I find it so fucking. It's just memorization after memorize. I was like, okay, I get it. There are these bonds. What do we do now? It's like, well, that's what do you mean? What do we do? This is what we do now. This is chemistry. What do you? You saying you understand the bonds? Now you will prove it 17,000 times in a row. That's chemistry. It's like, no! It's a spelling bee, but in 3D! Get me out of here, Ebony Fantasic! So I don't really give a shit when chemistry comes up. I just, I, I learn what's interesting about it and then nothing about the actual practical application. Oh, is that how arsenic from apples uh, poisons water supplies to the point that cities need to come out and dredge it before people die by swimming? Got it! Cool. Okay, moving. I was always curious, but never wanted to look it up because the FBI is already a little fidgety sometimes about me. I just know it. <sighs> Rico, which is a great name for an FBI agent, and if you know why, it's hilarious. Rico, get over here. Rico, the FBI agent. Jot that down. <sighs> do you do you think he's looking up how to make huge amounts of arsenic and water for practical reasons, or what are you doing afterwards? I'm telling you, man, she's no good for you. Rico, you can do better. Rico, the FBI agent. 
Uh, so discovering that water, uh, and it's just it's a connection to the surface, is what makes it uh, less potable over time. And of course, it's not going to be any different for tea. Uh, moving to this carafe system is, I was like, okay, I can make this really great, really classy bit of, of green tea every couple of days, uh, like every two days, literally, and just drink it slowly and just like fill my cup up with ice and I turn the carafe open and pour it in and I can have my delicious at temperature, whatever temperature I want, green tea, spice mixture, and it'll be just delicious. It'll be just wonderful. Uh, and it's just been great for months and months and months. But some time back, I was like, well, I really want to switch it up. Green tea is great to drink throughout the day, but towards the end of the day, even though there's virtually no caffeine whatsoever in the green tea, I, wanna, I, wanna, I probably want to switch over. I'm uh, probably aggravated enough about things that are going on in the world. And so I've been making golden nut milk lattes here. I'm totally off uh, dairy milk. I love my butter. I love my cheese, as you know if you follow me. But I am totally, totally off uh, cow, cow, cow milk. It's been so long. I don't even know what it feels like or tastes like or anything. It's crazy. And so I, uh, I'm making nut milk lattes. And any nut milk is good, but I want them to be quite healthy. So just like my smoothies these days, I'm using almond cashew or just pure cashew milk. Occasionally, I will make from scratch coconut or oat milk from scratch, but I'm not really big on that. Uh, those are both pretty great to make from scratch, but I don't really love this kitchen and the utility of it, uh, and that's kind of messy, kind of compromising, kind of big-time work. So uh, I don't do a lot of that yet, maybe one day. And so you take your your cashew, your oat, it doesn't really matter what nut milk you take, really, if you look up every single ingredient. And this is where it's great to use powders. Uh, if, you cut, if you cut fresh turmeric, I don't mind it. I got a turmeric board. I've got a spice board where I'm always cutting, smashing, spicing shit up for the green tea. Anyway, so I don't care that I'm staining it. But a lot of people just hate the smell uh, and the sensation of cutting open turmeric. If you think you hate onions or garlic... Uh, you may truly hate cutting open turmeric. So fresh turmeric may totally be out for you before you even know it. But turmeric is basically, I think, the... Uh, basically, basically the base. Basically the base of the nut milk. I mean, obviously it's going to be the nut milk. And then, but you really... Turmeric is where it comes together. It doesn't feel like or smell like or taste like that's what your base is going to be. But I use more turmeric over and over than anything else in these lattes. And I have to say, I really think it quite works quite well. Uh, fresh grind some pepper in. Uh, again, ground pepper, ground turmeric. Really just kind of trying to make a spice mixture. And stir that in there real good already before you get anything else. And then from there, there's really... Nothing that you can do wrong. If it tastes sweet, if it's a spice or a powder, or if it's something uh, of, of produce that's, that's on the sweeter side that you think is good, as long as it's not added sugar, as long as it's not sugar, brown sugar, honey, and you think it's going to taste good with that base, you will be right. Nutmeg, sure. Powder to fresh, sure. Cinnamon, sure. Sticker powder, sure. Absolutely, 100%. Lime juice, absolutely. Lime rind, sure. 100%. Orange juice, absolutely. Orange rind, absolutely. Lemon juice, uh-huh. Lemon rind, uh-huh. You just got to stir it in, but it'll work real good. It'll simmer real good down. 
really and truly, there is no short supply of anything that you can put in there at this point that'll make this golden uh, latte. It really is golden because of that turmeric and nut base, and especially if you use the cashew milk. Oh my goodness, it's so thick and creamy, and it's so golden, golden looking. And then you just stir a little cinnamon, a little nutmeg, uh, any of these other powders. You want, uh, uh, I understand how silly it may sound, but you want to, I think you want that base. You want to know what it tastes like when you have just the nut milk, when you have just the turmeric, and you have just the black pepper in. It's going to be a little spicy. It's going to be it's still kind of pleasant, I think, but this is this is this is the base, and then you just sweeten that up with pretty much whatever you got. And I never make it the same way twice. I'm I'm just a total uh, rapscallion about it. Every time I'm in the kitchen, it's just like whatever. What smells good today? There's this one scene from Community with Dean Pelton, a character who's always in a different out. Not always, but he's often in a different outfit, and they're all very eccentric and. You've got to wonder, like, where the hell is they all coming from? And at one point, he finally opens his closet that he has at the school grounds and everything. And it's just filled with a hundred crazy wardrobes. And he just goes, all right, girls, who wants to dance? That's pretty much how I feel opening my spice cabinet these days. I open and I'm like, okay, let's let's see what gets thrown in. Uh, I see acai extract. I see dried plum. Not is it gonna go wrong? Fuck no! No experiment has so far. In it goes. You get that simmering. You stir it together. You make sure it's it's meshed together so well. Again, if you do it with cashew milk, it's so thick and creamy. Even with just a little bit of simmering, you go ahead. You get that over ice. You get that in craft too. And then I switch from green tea to uh, to my golden latte milk. And I know it's like time to start. Easing up, I put on different kinds of music and different kinds of things to listen to throughout the day, depending on if it's the green tea portion or if it's the golden latte portion. It's really helping me go. It's uh, it's it's just it's wonderful. It's it's been really nice learning how to make these things in advance and have a have a recipe list and know what I'm kind of pairing. Uh, my green tea and, and, and my golden latte is for, and I'm just, I'm having so much fun with it. I hope you guys can tell. I don't have a lot to share that's great about going on in my life, but cooking, because this is cooking, it's going great. My relationship with food, my relationship with drink, it's entirely, entirely changed. So uh, I did want to do an opening monologue about that and something good about me and something I knew I could smile about. Uh, and also flex on you all because it is the apocalypse and listen to how well I'm treating myself. And I'm telling you, I spent the last six months pouting, sitting around and drinking beer. Um, so if you think I'm rocking it now or if you think the body's rocking now, <laughs> you have no idea. Okay, I should probably get to the things you requested since it took me so long to do so. <clears throat> Here we go. I have no idea who requested what. I have no idea what I'm about to read. I'm going to try not to get too embarrassed and press that stop button, but you can't stop me since I'm right here. So here we go. I have been told I love you by you could be well for me. The highlight of my life. The best feeling. 
the one that signifies the pure greatness, so improbable to have met you at all, and then to have been told in your soft young voice so soon after meeting you, I love you. And I felt the mystery of being that you, of being a you, of being loved, and what I was instantly. I was someone who could be told, I love you, by someone like you. I was in that moment new. I was there in front of you with a future that hadn't yet been burned. I had energy, and you had beauty, and your eyes were a pale blue, and they backed what you said with all they hadn't seen, the least calculating. And when you spoke, and when they shone, perhaps you saw the feeling you caused, perhaps you saw too that feeling would stay. Poem to the First Love, Matthew Yeager. I'm going to adjust you just slightly. I'm so sorry, darling. I know you don't like me manhandling you and moving you around unless it's sexually, but just give me a second here. I'm rusty, baby. I'm rusty. Think of you as the first kid sitting on Santa's lap after, after not just how long he's been away all year, but COVID as well. By God, Santa's broken containment. <clears throat> Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pool to pool, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeons of chance. My head is unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds that shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gauge, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. One of these days I'm going to read it perfectly. Invictus, William Henry Henley. William Ernest Henley, my goodness. Somewhere on the other side of this wild night, and the distance between us, I am thinking of you. The room is turning slowly away from the moon. This is pleasurable. Or shall I cross that out and say, it is sad. In one of the tenses, I singing an impossible song of desire that you cannot hear. I close my eyes and imagine the dark hills I would have to cross to reach you, for I am in love with you, and this is what it is like. Or, what it is like, in words. Words, Wild Night, Carol Ann Duffy <clears throat> We, unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, live coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its high, holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us into life. 
love arrives, and in its train comes ecstasies of old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. Yet, if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity in the flush of love's light. We dare be brave, and suddenly we see that love costs all we were and will ever be. Yet, it is only love which sets us free. Maya Angelou, Touched by an Angel God, can you believe such a shitty show was based upon such a great poem, such a great woman? <laughs> oh, if I was Angelou, I think I'd pick up a Bible and start slapping people. Was, my, was Angelou even religious? I really don't know much about her. I know that people called her mad, and I just thought, even as a child, I thought, well, people people get mad like, people get mad like when the vending machine's not in stock. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and what's what's your fucking point? <clears throat> Because you're gone, I take a book to bed, the flame of passion. Scabbard at his thigh, Lord Henry gets the girl. You'd only buy top book list picks. The romance genre's dead, you'd say, when promises of I thee wed lured me to bargain bins. I learned to lie about my day, hoard harlequins on the sly while you were off at work, your office spread with red inked proofs. But now it makes me yawn to read beyond the lover's wedding night. I close the flame, not even halfway through. His sword grows dull while she goes on and on about how lovers must stay true. I'd write another ending, if I could, for you. The Editor's X by Caitlin Doyle. That was dope, Miss Doyle. What a, what a complex and delicious narrative. <clears throat> Although you're not over him. I love uncertain gestures. Someone stumbles, someone else bangs his glass, can't remember, gets distracted. <gasps> oh, or the sentinel can't stop the sight flicker of his lashes. They matter to me because in them... I see the wobbling, the familiar rattle of the broken mechanism. The whole object makes no sound, has no voice. It only moves. But here the apparatus, the play of parts, has given way. A piece breaks off, declares itself. Inside, something dances. I love uncertain gestures by, I'm going to pronounce it as, Valerio Magrelli, M-A-G-R-E-L-L-I. <clears throat> there's blue, and then there's blue. A number, not a hue, this blue. It's not the undertone of any one, but there it is. Primary. I held the bouquet in shock and cut the stems at a deadly angle. I opened the toxic satchel of flower food with my canine 
and rinsed my mouth. I used to wash my hands at daydream. I dreamed of myself and washed my hands of everything. Easy math. Now I can't get their procedure at the florist. Off my mind. The white flowers have arrived. The overnighted in a chemical bath, and now they have a fake laugh that catches like a match and starts like a kind of kitchen fire that is fanned by water. They won't even look at me. Happy anniversary. Dyed Carnations Robin Schiff I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, of arrow, of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things secretly between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom but carries the light of these flowers hidden within itself and thanks to your love the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love except in this form in which I am not nor are you, so close that your hand upon my chest is mine, so close that your eyes close with my dreams. Love Sonnet Number 17 Pablo Neruda Yet love, mere love, is beautiful indeed and worthy of acceptance. Fire is bright, let temple burn, or flax an equal light leaps in the flame from cedar plank or weed, and love is fire, and when I say in need, I love thee, I love thee in thy sight, I stand transfigured. With conscience of the new rays that proceed out of the face towards thine, there's nothing low in love when love the lowest. And what I feel across the inferior features of what I am doth flash itself and show how the great work of love enhances natures. Sonnet 10. Yet love, mere love, is beautiful indeed. Elizabeth Barrett Browning I love your lips, and when they're wet with wine or red with a wild desire, I love your eyes with the love-light lies lit with a passionate fire. I love your arms when the warm white flesh touches mine in a fond embrace. I love your hair when the strands mesh your kisses against my face. Not for me the cold calm kiss, not for me the saint's white bliss, nor the heat of a spotless dove, but give me the love that so freely gives and laughs at the whole world's ability to blame 
With your body so warm in the arms, it sets my poor heart aflame. So kiss me sweet with your warm wet mouth, still fragrant with ruby wine, ruby wine, and your body and soul are mine. Clasp me close in your warm arms, while the pale stars shine above, and we'll live our whole lives away in the joys of a living love. I love you by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. <clears throat> Sun makes the day new. Tiny green plants emerge from earth. Birds are singing the sky into place. There is nowhere else I want to be but here. I lean into the rhythm of your heart and see where it will take us. We gallop into a warm southern wind. I link my legs to yours, and we ride together. Where have you been, they ask. What has taken you so long? The night after eating, singing, dancing, we lay together under the stars. We know ourselves to be part of the mystery. It is unspeakable. It is everlasting. It is for keeps. For keeps. Joy Harjo. Oh, my, was that the last poem? I really knocked those out. Goodness, I, I'm going so slow with all my rambling at the start. Uh, I don't really have much to say right here. I'm putting most of my stuff on the updates. I just want to say I've been reading a little bit about intoxicants, my favorite one, of course, or at least my lifelong favorite, because I do believe my favorite will be from here on out, THC, but beer is nice, and it is fun. And I grew up hearing it was about six to 8,000 years old. Previously on the podcast, I talked about wine vats found, ironically, not far out of the Champagne region of France that appear to be about ten to 11,000 years old. Well, there is a new article in the Smithsonian that's come out in the last few months that talk about how beer is actually closer to 13,000 years old. We're starting to have hundreds to thousands of years of people sitting around drinking beer and wine before actually sitting around and getting and making pyramids. And all I can say is, when you think about it, it sounds quite a bit like the Grey Knight Project to date so far. All I can say is, if you listen to me now, I certainly sound like a ziggurat that's ascending towards heaven. Or I think I do. If you think the same... Keep spreading the word about me, won't you? I will keep trying, no matter what. Like a phoenix, I'll just keep rising from the ashes a little bit stronger than last time. I know. Because these days, baby, can I hold a planking position or numerous other stretches in ways that really blow your mind? And I don't know where or when it's going to happen, but I will be able to bring this energy to a live mic and a stage. I know I will. I want your questions. I want to feel your horniness in person. I want to hear your sighs. We'll get there. Thank you to everybody who said such kind words about my body and all of the physical stuff I'm putting up, my fitness, my food. As the relationship with food has fundamentally shifted in these last six months, in this last year or two, really, but especially these last six months, well, 
It really is only a matter of time. Sometimes I get to the gym, sometimes I'm knocking out three to five days in a row, sometimes I'm only going twice a week. But I'm back to the gym and I'm eating so much better, both when I'm cooking everything from scratch, and also on the rare occasion that I eat out, even out of a window, even trying something new. In fact, I've been saving this up for a little bit of a perk, but I'm simply feeling so good right now. That's why you're getting this recording and other work is happening. I simply feel very prepared, very ready. I tried Panda Express orange chicken, and I loved it. And I didn't care. I haven't needed it since. I haven't really thought of it since. And it's not that it wasn't good. It was some of the best I'd had. Really, it was really well prepared. It was almost like P.F. Chang level, only came from Panda Express. Slow day, I guess. <laughs> After a lot of busy ones. But it was simply a delicious, spicy chicken. Crispy outside. Delicious sugar sauce. Tender chicken on the inside. And I ate it thinking, I would rather make mine. I'd rather have mine. Not only that, but I tried, I tried to get the expensive bougie pizza. One of you gals was so nice to me and sent in a big tip saying, Get the pizza you were always talking about, it'll cheer you up. And I went, okay. And I went and I got it. And it was good. But I would rather have mine. And I don't even have my specialty pan yet. And I haven't even perfected my dough yet. And I have a funny little story about that, but I want to save it for later. I want to spread out. Everybody's already in a good mood listening to this one, so I want to save that story. But sometime in the future, someone's got to remind me of 3 a.m. head shop jewelry scale purchase story. Because that's a fucking fun one. You'll really like it. Okay. It's the love letters. <clears throat> thank you to everybody who requested a poem and thank you to everybody who's going to go ahead and promote me on social media and everything else I play a new game when I want to be productive and that is I'll put up, put up a bunch of posts in the middle of the night like I want to slap your ass and I want to bite you and it's all sincere it's, you know because I'm up in the middle of the night I'm a bit of a night owl you, can probably, you may even slightly probably not because Ali's so good at her job hear a rooster crowing in the background like it's a fucking <laughs> Shakespearean play over here or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my new kink for productivity is putting a, a couple of uh, Tumblr or, or Twitter posts or whatever, uh, and then you can't, if you want to, you can not see the reactions, but you can see how many you're getting. And then seeing those trickle in as I'm trying to be productive is just really encouraging. So really and truly, share my shit on social media. Join my shit on social media. At Real Grey Knight, R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T on Twitter. Uh, Grey Knight Erotica on Tumblr. If you just search Grey Knight Erotica, G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T-E-R-O-T-I-C-A. Tumblr, you'll find them. Twitter, Real Grey Knight that's where I'm putting my stuff. I have to stay away from you all because I want to rip all of your heads off. I can't tell friend or foe. There's a Key and Peele sketch. It's very raunchy, but it's one of my fucking... Nobody ever cites it either. It's just such a great fucking premise. Is the way that Key and Peele know if someone's an alien doppelganger or not 
is they'll say something like it's a racial stereotype, and if the alien doesn't understand what they're supposed to be picking up, they shoot them. So it's like two black guys going around the suburbs, and like the alien's like, thank God, I found you human beings. And like Jordan Peele, like, I want to fuck your daughter. I mean, it's not that a verb. He's like, I'm going to fuck your daughter. And the white guy will be like, of course, please, anything. And they'll just shoot him because, like, of course no white guy would be okay with that. <laughs> and of course, like, I mean, it's like, it's really, if they're just Key and Peele are half, are half white. Just want it before anybody, like, gets any too upset about the pleasure that I take in that. They are complex individuals that sketch is saying a shit ton quite frankly more than just about anything else they fucking put on tv whoo but i love it and pretty much pretty much just like uh just like their ability to to try and suss out and detect uh i i i simply put i i can tell how much more turned on you all are right now with me I can tell how how attractive I'm 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 being. Uh, I can feel it. I feel all turned on. I've I've been catching up on commissions and other stuff. You're, you're going to hear more and better work as we continue to move this out. Uh, fingers crossed. As as I get laid for people just joining us, this has got to sound wild. People have been tapped out for a while. This is going to sound nuts. Uh, but like as I you know like as I get laid and like as I move back into you know just leaving the house five days a week maybe fingers crossed we'll see what happens um i i i i feel just fantastic about things but i i I just need a little bit of space i do because i will rip your head off i don't know which of you is the alien invader i don't have the keen peel detection set i don't know which of you i know you feel the same way to some degree but I'm asking you to accept that I really do have life debilitating PTSD, not just bad PTSD, not just movie cinematic breaks windows and punches wall PTSD. It's debilitated and degraded every relationship of my life. And I'm determined not let it do this period because I feel so fucking good and hot and sexy. Really, when I look, I know how arrogant this sounds, but I'm approaching a milestone birthday, and as I look around at the fortunes, the physicalities, and all of the rest of my peers, especially those who used to call me quite ugly, and a nobody, and a loser, and I look where everybody ended up, whether that be, I know it sounds like I'm probably talking about high school, but I'm not. When I really look around at what people have made of this life and what I said was coming down the pike and and what's here, not just for me, but the world and, and the position it's in, I feel fucking amazing. I feel like all of those stories you hear about somebody and they're like, yeah, he didn't do anything. And then, you know, he got a little bit later in life than most people have success. And then, really, truly, I... I feel fantastic, and the times that I feel the least about myself or when I yell at somebody over a DM and I have to look at myself and what I said again when I'm not frustrated, angry, or in a PTSD state, I hate that version of me. I really do. This is not the act with the mask dropping. Believe it or not, the screaming and raging is the mask, and then I fall back and I feel like just the worst person in the world. I've mostly beaten that shame cycle, but I don't want to fucking waste any of that energy. I'm really explaining myself here. I know, I know, but this was not a, this is not a time to be distant and bragging, and I'm doing both. But I'm doing it for me. 
And I have no apologies about it this time around either. I'm, I know how good my voice sounds right now. I know how good, at least to some of you, my body looks right now because I feel it too. And I want to keep it going. I know what cooking is doing to you and talking about that. I know what striving is doing because I know how hard it is to strive right now. I know what it's doing. Fingers crossed, the weed, the sex, the relaxation, the distance, the meditation. If you hear what I hear, if you really believe what I'm saying, that I think I'm going to be so much sexier as we move through time together and I continue on with this. Thank you. And if not, Allow me to demonstrate piece by piece, brick by brick. Die and be reborn as many times as a good goddamn takes because I really am that stubborn. <clears throat> I want to express an increasing affection founded on a more intimate acquaintance with your heart and understanding. I shall cork up all my kindness, yet the fine volatile, sorry, volatile essence may fly off in my walk. You know not how much tenderness for you may escape in a voluptuous eye should the air, as it is often the case, give a pleasurable movement to the sensations that have been clustering round my heart as I read this morning, reminding myself every now and then that the writer loved me. Guest sentence by Donald Trump. <clears throat> Voluptuous is often expressive of a meaning I do not now intend to give. I would describe one of those moments when the senses are exactly tuned by the ringing tenderness of the heart and according reasons entice you to live in the present moment. Regardless of the past or future, it is not rapture. It is sublime tranquility. I have felt it in your arms. Hush! Let's not the light see. I was going to say, hear it. These confessions should only be uttered, you know where, when the curtains are up and the world shut out. I wish I may find you at home when I carry this letter to drop in it box that I may drop a kiss with it into your heart, to be embalmed till we meet closer. Mary Wollstonecraft to William Godwin, 1793. Oh, is this some, is this some secret little fucking, is <laughs> is that a, is that a little Puritan little adultery going on? That's the hottest, you know, when you have to unbuckle and you have to have a, a secret adulterous affair and you have to unbuckle his hat, unbuckle his hat to get busy. <laughs> E-Y-H Ezekiel. Huh? Examine your head. It's unbuckled. I don't know what they would have sounded like. I'm just going with a generic bullshit Amish Mennonite. <laughs> but not good. <clears throat> Dear Mr. Putman, 
A tall, slender girl stepped out of her airplane and smiled to the waiting reporters, then turned and walked towards the hangar with her navigator and friend. I had seen Amelia Earhart. The thought sent blood rushing through my body. Shortly afterward, when she was alone, I ran joyously up to her and asked her for her autograph. Yes, it was her. Smiling at me, I trembled inside. I sure wish I was going with you, Miss Earhart, on your trip around the world. <laughs> her smile dimmed, and seriously, she said, "It's not going to be so easy." <laughs> oh shit! I wanted to talk about to her more than anything else in the world, so I decided to wait and see if I could get her alone again. I watched, and finally, she walked out of the gate, and I ran up to her. I told her of my desire to be like her, and asked her the plans for her globe trot. Her voice, so low and pleasant, was music to my ears. The word she said to me will always be treasured as long as I live. I knew that if I could be just like Amelia Earhart, I would be the happiest person alive. I dreamed about her. But she was greater and better than my dreams could ever make her. Then that tragic day of July second, nineteen thirty-seven. Okay, all right. I was wondering when this letter was written. Relatively, sorry. I just need a moment to recover after how happy she was in the first graph. Okay. <clears throat> when my sister told me Amelia was missing, I stared at her. A lump of came to my throat. It seemed impossible for Amelia to be gone. Each radio broadcast, I expected them to have found her. Four days later, I went to the hospital to have my appendix operated on. The only thing I wanted to hear was that Amelia had been found and what casual remarks she would have to say. And yet, the days dragged by without news of any kind. I wanted to choke the Navy for not finding her. I wanted her to know her with all my heart, and yet I felt as though I knew her as a sister. I know that if I had a seaplane, I would have gone out on July 2nd, and I know it would have found her somewhere. If only they had found some evidence that she was alive or dead, I could rest in peace. I felt she is alive. I know she needs us. On the walls above my desk are pictures of Amelia. Every time I look at them, I wonder if she is alive and what she is doing. The highest compliment my friends can give me is they think I look like her. There is the same number of letters in my name as Amelia's. My fondest hope is being like Amelia in every way possible. I wrote this letter to tell you how much your wife means to me. I want you to know that there are so many people over the world who love and miss her as you do. I hope always to remain Amelia's fondest fan. Sincerely, Alicia Kernett. P.S. I, I intend to take up flying as a career after I finish school and within a few years to duplicate Amelia's flight with fewer stops. Okay, well, hold on. We're gonna... <laughs> We're gonna search her immediately with pilot... No, there's not. Oh, no! Bio? Alicia. I don't see anything! If somebody's got information, if she made it, let me know. It doesn't look like it. Well, I've asked for... I, I said love letters, and uh, of course the first was a traditional kind, but then after a while I said, come on, throw me non-traditional, like especially non-heteronormative. You know? Like, I don't really care if you're, like, that nobody in my audience is, I can't imagine. But, like, I guess there's got to be a few people like, I don't care if you're LGBTQ, but I want to hear about it. Like, you know, like that level of support. Uh, I don't really care if you're at that level. 
uh, or or how straight you think you are beneath the covers in, in in prison three years into a labor camp or whatever have you. I don't really care how straight you think you are uh, until the water gets really boiling, you little noodles. Um, just from a narrative standpoint, like non-heteronormative love letters because of how taboo and crazy and connected everything. Like, like you think as a straight person, you're like, I finally found someone. You imagine that shit being gay at a time where being gay gets you bricked in the head. Like, really bricked in the head. Not like we have now, which is bad. Not like we had in the last couple of generations, which was awful. But like... You know, like, your family gets burned alongside your shit, too. Like, uh-uh. You think we've got... I can't believe I found you. I'm so lucky to found... Bullshit. So I asked for non-traditional love letters, and this has got to be one of my favorite that I've, that I've heard since I've asked for that, because, you know, this is... This is... This is love. This is philos. This is brotherly love. Like, I don't know how to how to conjugate that in, in Greek for the for the woman because Lesbos is not yeah, Lesbos is an island <laughs> for real if you didn't know that I don't know how to ma- so I think it's just brotherly love even when it's two women love each other it's still philos uh, and admiration clearly without envy without any envy when you get to that last paragraph and <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry that if I got too loud out of the doctor the fact that she's writing this to the the husband there's, I just, I'm so curious how, he must have gotten much more than this, because, I mean, I heard about all the obsessions and shit when I was a kid, like, you know, Amelia Earhart, and she never really made it big, because he <laughs> she lived the dumb dumb. but Sally Ride, Sally Ride was so huge, too, when I was a kid, and I know the first woman astronaut that's going to be on a big, like, interplanetary mission, I know just, like, there are going to be so many girls just, like, moon-eyed, Their eyes are going to grow like the Grinch's heart, and they're just going to be like, What? (laughs) The real-life Captain Marvel? And, like, crying and, like, not even knowing why they're dancing in front of the TV and shit. I know it's going to happen. So he must have gotten all these letters, and I'm just wondering, were they consolation? Did he love that she was so beloved? Did that take the pain away from it for him? Or was, was every time he got one of these letters like, Thanks, and he like writes back. He's all like, "You're gonna do great in school. Women can fly." <laughs> Just things I think about. You never really think about Amelia Earhart's fucking the uh, widower that she left behind, <laughs> and then he's gonna answer her fan mail three years on. Ooh, you never think about that shit. Oh man. All the women that would hate you if you remarried. How could you dishonor her like that? She's waiting for you. She's still out there. She's still out there. Oh, I'll find her. We haven't invented the mythos of the Bermuda Triangle yet, but when we do. (laughs) My angel, my all, my very self, can our love endure except through sacrifices? Oh God, look out into the beauties of nature and comfort your heart with that which must be. Love demands everything, and that very justly. Thus it is me with you, and to you with me. But you will forget so easily that I must live for me and for you. If we were wholly united, you would feel the pain of it as little as I. My journey was as fearful one. Yet I got some pleasure out of it. 
We shall surely see each other soon. Moreover, today I cannot share with you the thoughts I have had during these last few days, touching my own life. If our hearts were always close together, I would have none of these. My heart is full of so many things to say to you. There are moments when I feel that speech amounts to nothing at all. I will arrange it with you and me. What a life! Thus, without you, pressure pursued by the goodness of mankind hither and thither, much as you love me, I love you more. Cheer up. Remain my true, my only treasure, my all, as I am yours. The gods must send us the rest. What for us must and shall be. Your faithful Ludwig. And then the closing of this is just a killer after all that. Beethoven to <gasps> unknown. <laughs> I didn't know that Beethoven had mistresses. <laughs> there's a there's an implication there at least. <clears throat> Lily darling, six years have gone by since I made my first great success in life and won you, and thirty years have passed since Providence made preparation for that happy success by sending you into the world. Every day we live together adds to the security of my confidence that we can never any more wish to be separated than that we can ever imagine a regret that we were ever joined. You are dearer to me today than you were upon my last anniversary of this birthday. You were dearer then than you were a year before, and you have grown more and more dear from the first of those anniversaries. And I do not doubt this precious progression will continue on till the end. Let us look forward to the coming anniversaries, with their age and their gray hairs without fear and without desperation, trusting and believing that the love we bear each other will be sufficient to make them blessed. So, with a bounding affection for you and our babies, I hail this day that brings to you matronly grace and dignity of three decades. <clears throat> Samuel Clemens to Olivia Clemens, a love letter. Boy, may you all find a curmudgeon who tells you that he wants to slap your ass that good, because turning 30 was a lot older back then. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever looked at, like, Civil War pictures and shit, but, like, <laughs> a lot of you out there are like, I'm 30, I'm 30, 35, I'm aging. Babies, you look great. Babies, you just keep drinking that water. You keep doing, you keep doing your, your cardio, babies. You know, you try and keep that sugar down. You're looking good, baby. Don't you worry. Daddy tap that ass. <clears throat> Dear Butter, I just want to say that besides duck fat, you are my favorite fat. I am into this. Let us continue. Lotto comes a close third. Extra virgin olive oil is also delicious, but if we were to rank, you'd be first. Not only because you are delicious, but also because you are both to cook with and slather on bread. 
Duck fat, not so much. I loved you, and this is how you treat me. This love isn't new. I've been smitten with you all my life. When my aunt used to babysit me after elementary school and it came time to request an after-school snack, my cousin would ask for apples and peanut butter. I would request a slice of bread. Spread. Half. An inch high with butter. Sometimes I would ask for a second slice, at which point my aunt would suggest I make my own, and then I'd mix it up by slicing a patch of cold butter from the fridge instead of just using her preferred room-temperature stick. Ah, variety. You always kept it fresh, butter. And back then, you were just the butter next door. You were simple, rich, wrapped into sticks with waxed paper. Now, you're pretty sophisticated. Some might say, <laughs> cultured. When I walk into a gourmet shop, dear butter, and see you there, all salted and bright and yellow, cultured, often wrapped in artisanal paper and inspiring people to spread hard-earned dairy money on you, I tear up a little bit because you're worth it. Because you are always worth it, Bunner. <sighs> Though until recently, not everyone thought so. Despite your deliciousness, you were damned because of puritanical fears. But now, dear Butter, people realize your worth and their own dairy bigotry. Even though I had never needed a study to know how special you were, I was happy when they came out with this and this anyway. I don't know if you know this, Butter, but sometimes I'd like to make a cultured version of you. In closing, I want to say, you make my world better. I love you more than duck fat on my bread. XO, XO, Kirsten. To Butter, a quote-unquote love letter by Kirsten Jackson. I wonder why whoever whoever came across that thought about me. I don't even know. I can't imagine. Smoke bomb! I was once moved to write to your lordship, not by way of answer to any letter received from you, but by being myself. Still, as I am here, I will make of my heart a rock and proceed further. As if I shall not display the art of sailing on a sea of your powerful genius that itself will excuse me, nor will be disdainful of my inferiority in parts. Therefore, your lordship, the light of our century without paragon upon this world, having no matter equal to yourself, I have a marvelous astonishment at your rare genius." I hope and promise to perform, give pleasure to your mind, and I shall esteem it more fortunate than excellent, should I ever be sure of pleasing your lordship, as is said, in any particular. I will devote the present time and all my future to your service. It will grieve me much that I cannot regain the past in order to devote a longer space to you than the future only will allow. I have no more to say. Read the heart and not the letter, because the pen toils after good will in vain. Had I not believed that I had made you certain of the very great, nay, measureless love I bear you, I could as easily forget your name as the food by which I live. 
it were easier to forget the food which only nourishes my body miserably than your name, which nourishes both body and soul, filling the one and the other with such sweetness that neither weariness nor fear of death is felt by me while memory preserves you to my mind. Think, if the eyes could also enjoy their portion in what condition I should find myself. Michelangelo to Tommaso Calavari. I'm going to go with that. And we got some really atypical love letters tonight. Very proud of all you girls, and thank you to everyone who sent one in. Hope you enjoyed the love letters. I certainly enjoyed reading them. We have two stories today. I know one of them, though I have not read it or previewed it in any way. The title is up in front of me, and I can guarantee that it is not serious, so we'll at least put that one aside and read this one first. <clears throat> After all of that talking up and talking about how delicious my tea is, I've healed up enough, I've taken time away enough, that I barely need a sip or something. Mm. Delicious, though. The great thing about making such pungent and delicious spiced teas and lattes is that even though they're iced and smooth and delicious, I still drink them rather slow. I used to drink tea so quickly that I would have to run in between card game turns and what have you to the bathroom and back. I don't have to do that anymore, and I'm still just as hydrated as ever because all I'm drinking is is water, green tea, and nut milk lattes, spice lattes. And when I do switch between one and the other, and especially after I have my smoothies as well, uh... You know, when you think about just the amount of pure spices for, that I've had, I'm lavishing. I'm just giving wonderful, wonderful attention and, and promoting lifelong healing towards Mr. Tums all day, every day. I'm not taking these things for medicinal purposes. I'm not taking them even because I can't have them because I've gone without them during a writing period or just when I was drinking real fucking heavy. Mmm. But... Being able to treat yourself with all of these herbs and everything on a daily basis, it's really not any more expensive than buying something at a gas station every day and taking it to work. I know, I used to do that. You know, just one, one little $2 or $3 drink a day is so much more expensive than this. And this is really delicious in treating myself all day, every day. Especially if you're thinking, like, I want to get started with this, but I don't know where. And it seems a little overwhelming, especially to buy all those dry herbs or all those whole herbs and what have you. That can be so expensive. May I give you just a little piece of advice, at least if you're in America? I'm sure you have the equivalent around wherever you're at. As it turns out, things like flour, salt, pepper, and various spices are pretty much the same wherever you go. It's, you can get discount versions of them, what have you, but it's mostly just the same spices packaged in different places. And especially if you're just starting out and you don't want to spend a lot of money and you think it might be good, may I recommend that you go to something like a Dollar General or a very cheap store. 
and try and get your salt, your pepper, your flour, your nutmeg, your turmeric, etc. from there. And see how cheap it is comparatively to everything else and, and put it in. If the idea of going to these places for your food is so shocking to you, well, again, Asian markets and these back these backwater huts is where I'm going to get mine. I like to experiment and I like to do things my way, but I like to be frugal as well. Well, that's my advice at least. Take it as you see fit, but truly, Asian markets and things like Dollar Generals or any kind of really cheap store like that, you can typically find some really good bulk spices in there and you can get everything going real easy. <clears throat> Just in case you thought I was actually leading by example in some way during all of this craziness. The leather cuffs are soft but implacable. They don't lock, but they don't have to either, because I can't reach the buckles no matter how much I stretch or twist my fingers. I'm hanging by my wrists in my boyfriend's Robert's garage, midway between a bench press and a scattered set of free weights. With a huge effort, I could just barely touch the floor with my toes or the lanyard hook that I'm hanging from with the tip of my middle finger. The thing I can't do is release myself. There are also cuffs around my ankles and a chain linking them together on the floor to prevent me from drawing my legs up. I'm feeling a cool breeze on my naked skin and I'm wondering how in hell I ever managed to get myself in this situation. Again. Robert and I were born on the same day and we went to the same schools. We had always been friends, even in the grades when boys and girls aren't supposed to like one another. Then he developed an interest in bodybuilding around the same time I developed an interest in boys, and I promptly got a hopeless crush on him. Poor thing. By the time we were going to the same college, he was a big man on campus, always surrounded by a flock of girls much prettier than me, and I filed the desire I felt for him away, along with those dreams that kids eventually have to give up on. Then we were both out of school and working, and Robert was married after a whirlwind affair and divorced by his new wife the very same year. Somehow I wound up at his place trying to comfort him as best I could. We sat on his couch, drank his wine, and talked for hours, and finally... In a low, hoarse voice, he made his confession to me. The thing I really long to do, he said, is to whip. Is to whip the girl. Is to make her squirm with pain. To crush all the resistance out of her. To make her know that she is feeling my power. To make her suffer as Darlene made me suffer. He deliberately lightened his tone. Is that some sick shit or what? But I knew he meant it, meant it with everything in him. Silently, all my muscles trembling, I forced myself up from the couch. I turned my back on Robert and I lowered my maroon skirt, matching thong to my ankles and stepped out of them. I imagine he blinked. I imagine he did. Allie, are you sure? He asked. I nodded, not because I was sure at all, not about being whipped, but I was sure I wanted to please him more than anything in the world, and if he wanted me to be in pain, 
I would be in pain for him. That first time he just slapped my ass, the sting surprised me. He just did the warmth that followed it. It hurt, yes, but it was also the culmination of years of fantasies. Robert was being physical with me for the first time, and the pain made it clear that this time it wasn't all just my imagination. I knew the inevitable follow-up to Robert spanking my ass would be Robert fucking my cunt. I was right. After about a dozen hard slaps, he undid his pants, and he fucked me bending over a chair. That first time, he didn't even bother to undress himself or do anything else to me. I knew that he knew that my cunt was wet and ready for him. I was no stranger to sex, but I had never been fucked like that. With such energy and enthusiasm, he came in me, and when he pulled out and turned me around, I saw how wildly happy he was. Even though I hadn't come, so was I. We've progressed a long way from simple spanking and doggy-style since that day. Now I was moaning while I dangled from the hook, not from the pain, not yet. My mind full of crazy memories of the past and the fantasies of what was to come. Now he enters the garage, turning up the heat so that we will both be sweating. He is wearing leather because we've learned that a slight and smell of leather impregnated me with his sweat makes me hot. He is, he is carrying a big whip and a small strap, but it's the strap that scares me the most. It's a gag, and that means he's going to use the big whip a lot on me. The gag's leather plug fills my mouth as Robert tightens the strap around my head so that it can't come loose. He positions himself at the best distance to use this particular whip, which is four feet of stiff leather and two feet flexible. Robert and I have become connoisseurs of whips and whipping styles. He draws the whip back and lets it fly. Thwack! It is exactly as painful as I expect it to be. My ass is still burning when he lays the second stroke on me. After four strokes, I start cursing my stupidity, but of course, he can't hear me because of the thick plug in my mouth. It hurts like hell, and it begins to dawn upon me once again that I can't stop it. I really can't stop it, and the whipping is going to go on and on until my crazy boyfriend is finished with me, whether I like it or not. I must be the crazy one. But at the same time, this thought triggers a flood of deep submission, and I feel myself melting inside. I belong to Robert. Fuck! I'm his slave, his puppet, his doll. My feelings belong to him, too. Fuck! All this I know is painted on my straining face, my sweating body. It's so humiliating, the loss of self-control that fuels, fuels my lust even more. I have never been able to figure out when Robert counts his strokes or whether he judges his progress by my reactions. Once he left off the gag and had me count them, but I was so distracted by the flood of feelings inside me that the numbers came out all crazy. He punished me all the more for that, to be sure, but we never tried that idea again. All I know for sure is that eventually the whip falls to the ground and Robert is there beside me, fucking me, fucking me in the same bondage, holding me there fast for the whip. Thwack! A particularly hard stroke draws me back to the present moment. I'm still hanging by my wrists, my ass, my whole body racked 
with pain, and I feel Robert's strong arms around me and the tip of his cock probing my slit, a little maneuvering as he easily in and out the right angle, all made possible by the suspension. That first fuck is over in a single frenzy of motion. After the whipping, neither of us ever lasts long. It's not even clear who comes first this time. Though one of us is triggered by the other's orgasm, then he's out, gone, and I've become newly aware of the weight of my bound arms. My shoulders are in red-hot pain, almost as bad as my ass. A hot, heavy river of Robert's jism is creeping down my right thigh, making me itch unbearably. I have what seems like hundreds of other itches I can't scratch. I can't scratch. I try to think of something else. I try to lighten my pussy muscles so that no more cum will seep out. But I can't. There's too much of it. The smell of sex is like a low, thick cloud trapped inside the garage, mixing with the smell of machine oil, spilled gasoline, the bare metal. I hear Robert pick up the whip again. I moan softly. The deepest, most submissive part of me is actively craving another encounter with my boyfriend's cruel whip. He doesn't strike me with it, though. Instead, he rubs the hard leather unbearably across the crisscrossing of my flesh welts that cover my bottom. I begin to shake my ass, not even caring how much worse it makes the shoulders feel. Robert reverses the whip in his hands and shoves the handle of it all the way up my cunt in one thrust. He's not worried about the angle now. He's just dildoing me with the handle for his pleasure alone. I can hear him grinding his teeth in frustration and rage. That is a bad sign. Or a good one. Then the handle is gone. Robert's gone. And I hear the noise of lubricant being squeezed out of the bobble. Robert comes back and slaps the whole handfuls of it onto my ass. This particular lube has a couple of special ingredients in it. The first makes it feel cold, almost freezing, the stinging, unbroken skin between the welts. He rubs it on my asshole, making it crinkle up. He steps away briefly, and I hear him setting the cooking timer all the way to Mexican, which is half an hour. My body shakes uncontrollably at the thought. Then the second ingredient of the lube kicks in, and the coolness fades to be replaced by the warmth, intense warmth, the heat. The crinkles fade away, and my asshole dilates. Sometimes Robert tortures me with my own lust, denying me relief by the hour. Not today, though. And I've learned not to be surprised by how quickly he can recover from his orgasms, no matter how quickly or satisfying they may seem or be. He wipes his hands on a rag and pulls on his thin leather gloves. He unclips the chain that holds my feet to the concrete floor, letting my body swing freely on the hook, pulling my ass cheeks over to where he stands. I've never been able to take it up the ass except in bondage, which is another one of the ways in which Robert has taken me further than any other man would or could. I know that Robert will have smeared his cock with a different lube that numbs him up just a little so he can last long, long time in my ass. His cock slides up me, and how easily it goes in a sign of how relaxed I am. Despite the sweat, the funk, the pain, I belong to him, and he can fuck me whatever way he chooses. This 
time. He chooses not to thrust, but to push and pull my whole body over towards his unmoving cock. The strain of his arms grows to the point where I'm screaming into the gag, but my asshole remains firmly plugged with him. Eventually he grows tired of this and lets me hang loose me, his cock still up my ass, when he reaches around his hips and gives me three orgasms with gloved fingers. For the last stage, he reattaches the chain, somehow managing to stay inside me and fucks me until it seems like his cock has become huge enough to come to the back of my throat. Robert is not small, but in my ass he always seems twice, three times as long, as thick. The timer's bell rings, and at last he comes to his second release, his sperm filling my bowels, adding a deep, intense heat to the unbearable extreme warmth. Sweat is pouring down my face and tits, and Robert Spunk is pouring down my bruised thighs. All this time, he hadn't spoken a single word to me. Then finally, finally, he picks me up, a little restless. The hooks that I've been hanging from, all this time, released. The pain in my shoulders gets even worse as I move my arms freely for the first time, but I don't care. I collapse into Robert's arms, and I let him carry me naked out of the garage into the warm house. My body is burning. My soul is deeply satisfied. He unbuckles the gag, and I began to weep. He murmurs soft, comforting words to me as I cry, spreads soothing lotion onto my ass, and massages the deep hurts and pains away. It's not over, though. Oh, no. Robert has needs, and so do I. There will be more bondage. Maybe more whipping. Definitely more fucking. Before we sleep. That was Robert's Needs by Literotica member Powell Donovan. P-O-W-E-L-L-D-O-N-O-V-A-N. Powell Donovan. Hope you enjoyed that one. Mmm. I guess it's time to say that if you want to throw me some money because you think I'm so sexy and you're so proud of me, there's two great ways to do it. First is to join my Patreon. That's Patreon The Grey Knight. If you're having trouble finding that, send me or Ali a DM. We'll be happy to give you a link. Don't worry. For whatever reason, some people can't find it. The other is, is that there will be a link below to the tip jar. Feel free to go ahead and send money pretty much any time that you think I'm slaying it. As you've heard, I'm about to go and get laid. It's my first vacation of 2021, my first vacation of 2020, and the first time I'm getting laid since COVID started, and I'm very, very, very excited about it. I don't think that this is going to be a rehearsal of Samurai Jack at all. In fact, I don't think there's going to be any kind of show to celebrate the end of it, just a more relaxed daddy. If you appreciate the work that I've done or just me surviving, because goddamn, sometimes... That's how I feel about these times. Well, this is the time to show it. Thank you for all of your consideration. And if you are broke, like I know a lot of people are, you just don't know what to do, every time you see something on social media, every time you see something that could be reblogged or liked, means a lot to me. Keeps me motivated, keeps me writing, keeps new gals on discovering us. Thank you. And it's time for the final piece, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to be sincere, or if it is, I'm not going to be able to take it that way. I'll just go ahead, take a quick sip of tea, and read the title. It's called 
the eleventh doctor, space and time. <clears throat> oh boy! Just the first sentence, just the first word alone, not even the first sentence, just the first word. When you combine it with eleventh doctor, it's already like, this is gonna go places. And if you know Doctor Who, you know it. River! Perched on the edge of the bed and drew him along beside her. This was different than usual. Mostly, the doctor did not think sexually. Time lords weren't geared for sex often, and it was usually something of a blind spot. When he did make love, it was because of all the indifference had faded over time, months or years, and desire had broken through. The sexual tension inside him had grown and grown and burst like a dam, sometimes without his realizing it was coming, and he caught up his chosen partner and whirled them up the deluge. Often enough, some human woman had been the instigator, pointing out that she was primed and ready for them. But that never lasted for more than a few moments. Soon enough, he was always in charge. There was this something measured and deliberate about it, as if he knew how the scene played out and there was no need to vary the script. There was no deluge to be swept up in, just a calm river. It was river, he realized. She already knew him. She was anticipating all the things he usually had to explain to his lovers, how long he'd last, what he'd want at the first, and River seemed gentler than she usually was. However, she hadn't expected that either. River. Gentle. River left her hand on his jaw, oh my, and pulled him gently to her. <sighs> Letting their lips caress a few seconds before kissing him in earnest, she tasted like champagne and heat. She let him unpin one sleeve of her Roman gown, and then un there's going to be a quiz after on who did what, and then wrapped her arm around his shoulders and pressed him softly back onto the bed. He expected her to lie down beside him, but instead she straddled him, pinning him down with her body, but with all the utmost gentleness. It was as if she were training. <laughs> he realized that was exactly what she was doing. He was a little frightened of what this night would mean, and she sensed that, or knew it outright. But, oh, it felt good to have her weight above him, to feel the heat of her body through his suit. River, how much do you know? River smiled down at him. More than enough? She said seductively, and she kissed him. Oh, you're all locked off, she said quietly. That's so sweet. He didn't know what she meant, and he supposed it didn't matter. She straightened one leg, which effectively lowered her body gently atop his. Neither of them could miss his erection. <laughs> oh, you're ready for me now. That was easy. You have no idea, the doctor said, the things you do to me. River grinned broadly. Jessica! Actually, I do know better than you do, but you'll find out soon enough. <sighs> Fanfic time loop fucking. I was just bragging on myself in my life, and now look where I am, but moments later. Fanfic time loop fucking.
What was that? What was that Bonaparte quote? It is but a step from the Pandas Express to the P.F. Chang's. Something like that. I'm pretty sure that's it. You know what? I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm almost positive. <sighs> his deaf fingers loosened his bow tie, and she wrapped it around her hand as she pulled it from him. One side of her dress was loose, with one breast dangling tantalizingly, the nipple only barely covered. The doctor's eye caught hold of it as she unbuttoned her shirt and pulled it out of his trousers. Sit up, she whispered, and he did so. This allowed her to pull his shirt and jacket off, and the doctor used the opportunity to touch her skin, caress her soft flesh of her breast. The nipple finally slipped from the folds of her dress, coquettishly winking at him. I wouldn't call River a coquette. <laughs> As someone who occasionally catches coquettes, I wouldn't say she was a coquettier. Uh, River unbuttoned his trousers and then traveled down his legs until she got to his feet. She took off each of his shoes and then told him to stand up. As she stood up, she pulled his trousers down until his cock was right at her eye level. She opened her mouth and licked it, gently. No, the doctor gasped. Pulling away and protecting himself with his hand. I, I need, I need. River looked up at him. To trust me, she said quietly. He blinked down at her. Boy, it is not hard to see why these guys lost an infinite amount of wars to the Daleks if they can't see that oral sex is about to be happening in that position. Like, if they can't foresee that, that, that cause and effect, no wonder they lost a literal infinite amount of wars to goddamn trash cans. Like, really? Really? That explains so much about their leaders. I mean, lords of what? <laughs> lords of what? You're the lord of what? I know what you need, River said. I know you're not human, <laughs> and I know you're going backwards. You said you start strong. My last is your first. She wiggled her eyebrows suggestively, and her tongue touched his lips? She stood up and put her hands on his shoulders. But I learned some tricks along the way, she said, and I can draw the first out, if you let me. The doctor blinked at her stupidly. <laughs> it had never occurred to him to try. He knew humans were backwards and built to their climaxes, and he started with his and tapered down until, at least with humans, he was satisfied enough to let it end. That usually took about five hours. That was fast for a time lord, but humans made him satisfied in a way his own people never had. So he put himself up to their frailties and their weaknesses and finished early. It had never occurred to him to draw out his beginning and to make the event, well, more human. Do you trust me? Melody Pond, the doctor murmured. River. He stared at her for a long moment, perfectly still. Finally, his very passivity answered for him. Oh, enthusiastic consent, River. River stepped towards him until her dress gently, oh so gently, brushed at his cock. He drew in a deep breath, waiting for it to come, but it wasn't enough. 
her fingers traveled down his chest, soft and sharp, her nails like the mouths of tiny insects biting at him. Goose flesh ran over her skin, and River kissed him very gently. Again she lay back on the bed, letting her lips travel down his chest, pause at her nipples to touch them with her tongue until she found a nest of hair by his cock. She touched his hair, smoothing it with her fingers, and his cock jumped. As it moved, one of her nails scratched it lightly and made the doctor whimper. River ignored the hungry organ and ran her nails tenderly towards his thighs, caressing the back of his knees, trailing back up to his hips. His cock was leaping for her now. This was madness! River curled up beside him on the bed and offered the other pin of her dress... His hand was trembling as he unpinned it. His torso revealed she looked like a statue of a Greek goddess. Her breasts pert, her nipples deep pink. Do I not know who River is? He liked the way she wasn't too young. Okay. He preferred the travel with younger people, and they kept him young. But as far as partners went, he usually preferred them older, less childlike. River was stunning. Her hips were wide and mature, and he wanted to rip the skirt off her dress off and plunge into her. But her movements were slow and deliberate. He didn't want to break the spell she had cast. She slid off the bed and stretched, her breast standing pert as her arms strained. She moaned with the movement a more erotic sound he had never heard. He flinched. With a seductive smile, River lifted one leg onto the bed and untied her sandal. It went halfway up her leg. It took some time. Her leg was shapely and muscular. He reached out and caressed it. His own movements teased at his straining cock, his own hand sliding up her thigh. She grabbed it and shook her head. No, no, she said softly and brought up the other leg. This time, she let him undo the laces, then ran up to her calf. When they were halfway unlaced, she took the ends of them and lightly ran them over his cock. He had to stop moving then, or he was going to scream. River slid her foot out from the shoe and then turned. She untied the sash on the dress and very, very slowly let the skirt puddle around her feet. She was presented with a perfect art portrait-like image of her behind, round and smooth like a peach, with two perfect dimples on her hips, just the right size for his thumbs. It was all he could do not to grab her and bend her over his bed. Images of seizing her from behind flashed through his mind's eye. Oh, please, how long was she planning to draw this out? She turned then, revealing a perfect triangle of dark gold hair nestled between her legs. His eyes were riveted on it. She came back up to him and pushed him down. He almost resisted, but she was strong and so smoothly slow about it. He just let her. Once he was on his back, she let her hand trace down his torso, tickling his flesh, trailing over his hips until she herself was perched by his cock, staring down at him. He never made it himself wait this long, and it was excruciating. Then she made it even worse. She bent down as if to swallow him, but she did not. All she did was breathe. Just breathe, as if she was whispering to it, her hot breath trailing down over f flesh like moist little fingers, and then he realized she was whispering, Hello, sweetie. Nice to meet you. So silently there was no sound. Her lips barely touched the tip, and he whispered. <laughs> River chuckled. Then she 
pursed her lips and blew on his cock hard and cold like an icy finger, and he cringed, his hands grasping the covers in a tight grip. River, now, please, he hissed. River sat back and looked up at him. I'll have mercy, she said with a smile. Then she sat up and straddled him, and he waited for a moment of penetration. But she hovered over him. His cock was drawn up to her, but the heat drawing him like a magnet, but she was too far away. But only if you'll listen to me. He frowned at her. She looked sorry for him. Oh, what? he breathed. In what universe could she possibly have to talk about something now? There's something about you, my glorious Time Lord. Are not doing right because you've trained yourself not to. She looked coy. I understand why, she said softly. All those human women you've loved and vetted, all those centuries of training yourself to make love like a human man, but you're not human. I didn't realize I'd have to teach you this. She whispered, and she kissed his cheek, and then her lips, and then the other cheek. But you're still all closed off, so it looks like I do. She ran her nose along his jawline. His body was screaming for her, and he could barely contain himself. What are you talking about? She kissed his temple, which made the heat above his cock shift, and he writhed. He still couldn't reach her. He wanted to sob it felt so good, and he wanted so much more. You want me? She whispered. Yes! Then take me properly, she said, and pulled herself away and stared down at him. I'm the child of the TARDIS, she told him candidly. You can't break me. You can't overwhelm me. You can't short out my neural net. And you've taught yourself to close your mind off to your lovers because human women can't take it. But my love, I can. He blinked at her in frank disbelief. She grinned down at him. My mind isn't that of a time lord. I don't know every language in the universe, and I can't enter someone's mind. I can't follow psychic traces any more than the average human, but I have no time sensitivity, and my skills at hypnosis require drug therapy. But when it comes to this, you can't break me. She kissed him briefly. I'm going to let you now. She warned him. And I want you to believe me. Don't hold yourself back. You can't hurt me. She shifted and the doctor grabbed her hips, holding her away. He had to stop her. She stared at him, her eyes calm and innocent, her face open and kind. A part of him was screaming at him not to listen. She was human, but he was a time lord. She couldn't possibly know what she was asking. He'd kill her, but she had to know better than he did. He searched her face, looking for any trace of fear, any hint of disingenuousness. All he saw was trust and adoration and longing. There was an undercurrent of sadness as well, but without fear. Slowly, terrified for her, as well as for himself, he let his eyes close and allowed him's grip on her to loosen. The heat which had been hovering in him suddenly engulfed him like a wave, and usually he requested his human lovers do remain still while his initial reaction surged through him, but River would not do this. Instead, she thrust herself over him, pulling him out of his beginning than he experienced in generations. The last time he'd made love with a Time Lord had been in his fourth regeneration, and that was, of course, with a Time Lord that didn't have hunger like humans did. Their bodies weren't as excited by the prospect of sex. 
objects. Rivers was human, and she reacted like a human. That eagerness of her movements, along with the assurance that could not break her, oh, please let that be true, because he couldn't keep himself closed, not with her thrusting like that, but his mind blocks cracked, and he did not try to repair them, and the psychic link he had not used fully in centuries opened up, and the sensation she was invoking in him was amplified, triplified, even as it rocked through her, and then back to him, and he groaned with ecstasy, almost screaming, clutching at her waist in a vice grip. When the initial eruption had faded with her, he lay back on River's bed as she gently moved on top of him. She was still there, still hooked into his mind, like two floating soap bubbles sharing one side. She had not been overwhelmed. Her mind was whole and strong beside his. She was still holy and completely river, and she adored him, and she trusted him, and she was amused by him, and she needed him more than she would ever admit in words, and she was so, so glad to be open and linked with him. Her head was on his chest nuzzling him, and he told her of her chin and lifted her face to his. Yes, she silently told him, and I meant that. He wanted to cry. It's only just the beginning, she said with her mind, as she ground herself over him. Hmm, said the doctor. All right, guys, that is the first ever request show. How about you send some more requests in soon, and I'll get you another one. Hope you had a good time. I know I did. I really did enjoy it. It was a great way to just kind of get the recording done and um, spend some time with you. Maybe show off a little bit. It's a lot easier for me to read these if I'm not also trying to, to respond in real time. I know you guys miss me. I miss you too so, 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 so much. I'm doing everything I can to get through these times, not just in one piece, to really live my best life and be everything I am. All of your patience, your support, your kindness in spreading the word, it means the world. I'm going to keep trying to become sexier. I'm going to keep being sexier. And I'm going to become the entertainer I was always meant to be. Don't you believe? Hope to see you soon. Until then. <laughs>